all have to dance. It's hard not to, though. 1960 is our flashback Friday year here on the Gary and Shannon Show. 1960, the first year that the Jets played as a football team. And that's where Shannon is, actually, on her way to New Jersey for Sunday's Chargers game in New Jersey against that New York Jets team. Well, we had to say goodbye, unfortunately, to Dick Enberg. Uh, The longtime Southern California sportscaster Dick Enberg passed away yesterday. And the tributes to him are going to be lengthy, and they should be. I mean, this guy has had a an incredible career when it comes to calling some of the most iconic games in just about every kind of sport, baseball and football. I think it was 28 Wimbledons or something, just a ridiculous number of events that this guy is known for. Uh, I saw he retired from calling Padres games, last, not last season, so it would have been uh, October of 2016. And the channel that was carrying the Padres games down there put together a great sort of tribute to him. And this is, again, a year, a little more than a year ago. But it included part of what I thought was a very, it was a, it was a moving moment to see this on screen. And I wanted to play part of it for you so you could hear it as well. He, oh my, was his big, his big word, uh, his phrase that he was known for, and he mentioned it at his induction into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes. Oh my, you know, oh my, has been a, an expression, a great friend of mine for over fifty years of my career, and never have those two words expressed more personal joy than at this very moment. Man, I thought I'd get all the way to the end before I started to get emotional. Scully called me when the announcement was made, and he said, only one piece of advice, Enberg, no crying at Cooperstown. Congratulations on a magnificent career. Yeah, I didn't you. cry at Cooperstown. I, mean, I didn't yeah, cry. did very well. <laughs> I was waiting to see. No crying at Cooperstown. That was just, it was incredible to see. It was fun to watch. Uh, there was also a tribute that Dick Enberg did for Tony Gwynn when Tony Gwynn passed away. From from Seattle, good evening. No, it's not a good evening. It's a sad evening. We've lost two San Diego icons in the last seven months. First Jerry Coleman and now Tony Gwynn is gone. He died early this morning. Mr. Padre, number 19, a humble hero, driven to baseball excellence, a sensitive and a caring man. Yes, the man could really, really play this game of baseball. No one in 80 years could match his eight National League batting titles. But what we'll miss most is that infectious giggle, the genuine handshake, and the fact that his love never waned for all that is San Diego. And that was Dick Enberg talking about Tony Gwynn when he passed away a few years ago. Um, the Dodgers on Instagram put up a nice uh, tribute to Dick Enberg, mostly from Vin Scully. It's a quote from Vin where he says, To me, Dick Enberg was the greatest all-around sportscaster who ever lived and will never be emulated. He was a very dear friend of mine. He had all, had my respect, admiration, and my friendship. He will be sorely missed. And then said, so The Dodgers are saddened over the passing of Hall of Fame broadcaster Dick Enberg. The deepest condolences to his friends and family. Uh, Dick Enberg, again, 82 years old, passed away yesterday. And this is the guy who was, 
probably the most versatile and enthusiastic sports announcer ever. Uh, he did all the major league, all the major leagues, basically major league baseball. He did college and pro football. He did college basketball, which we'll get to in a second. Boxing. He did tennis, golf, all kinds of Olympic events, the Rose Bowls, Super Bowls, Breeders' Cup, all of these things. He has a trophy case full of Emmys at his home, awards from the Pro Football, Basketball, Baseball Halls of Fame, several broadcasting halls of fame, and other assorted honors. He was an author. He was at the Tournament of Roses Parade, hosted several sports team sports-themed TV game shows, and was calling these Padres games, as I mentioned, well into his 80s. And if you're a fan of Vin Scully, for example, you have to also be a fan of Dick Enberg, two guys cut from the same cloth. Um, one of the things that he made a name for himself doing was college basketball. And he called UCLA games for a very long time. Big break was back in 1965. Channel 5 here in town, KTLA, was looking for a sportscaster. And Dick Enberg was hired $18,000 a year. And he said, I felt a little guilty because at the time in 1965, $18,000 was triple what he was making as a teacher. And then he said he found out he was being paid 10% under the union minimum at the time. So he felt even worse. But he went from televised boxing cards at Olympic Auditorium. He was the radio announcer for the Rams back then. And he started working UCLA telecasts during the John Wooden glory years. John Wooden, Lou Alcindor, who, of course, became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He became uh, the voice of the Angels after a while. And the the time, I think, that, that really solidified him was when he was with UCLA and John Wooden. And they became great friends. And Dick Enberg said uh, of John Wooden, he was the greatest man I ever knew short of my father. It's just one of those, it's one of those things where once you know that that guy's voice is never coming back, it's very, very difficult. Here's, here's a very strange twist to all of this. His wife, Barbara said that the family found out that Dick Enberg never got off the plane in Boston yesterday. She, I guess, had flown out ahead of him, and he was going to take a plane early yesterday, fly to Boston. They go to the airport to meet him. He doesn't get off the plane. And they figured out that he was waiting for the car that was set to take him to the airport. They found him dressed and ready to go with his bags packed by the door right at the front door of the house. And they believe it was probably a heart attack or something like that that felled him. And But he was ready to go. So this is going to be a very sad, sad holiday for uh, for his family. Uh, okay, so that's uh, that. I just wanted to throw that in there because I thought Dick Enberg is one of those voices that you will always, always remember. Um, and he's gone at the age of 82. Let's talk about Matt Damon. Matt Damon is a guy who, not too long ago, I guess you could say stepped on his own scrotum when he started talking about, or I should say when he was responding to questions about sexual harassment in Hollywood. It has been alleged that he was one of Harvey Weinstein's enablers. 
because we talked about this long ago when the Harvey Weinstein story first came out in the New York Times. Now, Matt Damon has been connected to this because supposedly he tried to squash a New York Times report from back in 2004 that detailed instances where Harvey Weinstein exploited his status as a studio executive and harassing, assaulting women. And the allegation is that Matt Damon got on the phone with a reporter for the New York Times and basically said, listen, if you don't pull that story, I'm never talking to you again and you're never going to have access to Matt Damon. He says he never tried to bury the story. And he says the information he gave about Harvey Weinstein was truthful at the time. And he didn't know anything about these allegations against Harvey Weinstein. Why is that important? Because Harvey Weinstein is a guy who catapulted Matt Damon to stardom. There would be no Matt Damon if Harvey Weinstein didn't groom him. Also, last week, he came under fire for telling ABC News that there was a spectrum of behavior and a difference between patting someone on the butt and rape or child molestation. And I think everybody in their right mind says, of course there is a difference. And what Matt Damon was trying to say is we have to be careful that we don't lump butt patters in with child molesters. Very clear. I think most common sense people would say that that's absolutely true, but that both of them are things that need to be squashed. Is uh, Harvey Weinstein or George H.W. Bush on the same level as a Harvey Weinstein? Right. I mean, they both need to be squashed with different sized hammers, but they both need to be squashed. Right. Well, here's the thing. Now there is a petition going around demanding the dumping of Matt Damon from next year's movie Ocean's 8. Okay. They originally had a goal of 17,000 signatures. By late yesterday, it was at 16,000. I'm assuming it's well over that by now. It's 20,288 right now. Okay. Well, listen. The people who want want him out of the Ocean's 8 movie. By the way, Ocean's 8... I don't. I don't have the list in front of me of who's in who's in it. I know that um, Sandra Bullock is in it. Anne Hathaway is in it. There's a couple of other people who are in it. It's it's women. I mean, it's it's the Ocean's Eleven heist story, as told by women, basically. And some of the original Ocean's Eleven guys. I think George Clooney is supposed to make a cameo. Matt Damon's supposed to make a cameo in this. They say that putting Matt Damon in Ocean's 8 would be particularly galling because this is a female reboot of the franchise. Oh, Kate Blanchett, that's another one. It has Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, Rihanna, Helena Bonham Carter, and then a few other people. They want George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh, the producers of Ocean's 8, to toss Matt Damon where it belongs on the cutting room floor. That's what the petition says. Where it belongs. Where it belongs. Is what it says. Yes. Where it belongs. Uh, I don't. I think we're getting into weird into a very weird area now. Yes. I. Anybody who has been enabling this behavior, whether it's Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey or any of these guys who have been taking advantage of their position by uh, abusing, violating women, underlings, subordinates, whatever, however you want to put it. People who have been enabling this behavior need to be called out. Yes, that's absolutely true. Matt Damon, in saying that you've got to have a difference between the most egregious of these behaviors 
and ones that are relative. I don't even want to say innocent, relatively low impact. I don't even know if that's the right term. I mean, I, I don't know how it impacts someone to have their butt padded and they feel like that's a. I know that there would be a sense, there could be a sense they don't feel like they can retaliate, they don't feel like they can tell anybody, they don't think anybody's going to believe them. But the idea that you're now going to pull Matt Damon out of a movie because of this doesn't make any sense to me. He personally has never been accused of any wrongdoing. No No one's ever had a story of him being in the room when Harvey Weinstein was acting crazy or anything like that. So it's it's a a little bit of a stretch. He has um, he has 40 he has four daughters. 47 he is 47 he has four daughters and that doesn't necessarily take him out i mean that's not a pass for him to get away with stuff but having four daughters i think does change your perspective on the issues like this when you're talking about this he is now not just talking about protecting wives uh protecting co-workers protecting people in the industry he has a potential now to talk to make this very personal and talk about protecting his own daughters. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I think about how how I have tried to teach my daughter the importance of being able to say no and being able to fight back and being able to raise her voice when she feels like she's uh, being unjustly di- dismissed, whatever reason, because simply because she's a girl. So. The other thing, this was a story that I wanted to throw in there, too, because we've talked about, you know, of course, Hollywood. Hollywood is really where the epicenter of all of this sexual harassment story comes from. Politics is a big one as well. Uh, We've seen a bunch of state lawmakers. We've seen members of Congress and the Senate. All have been accused of sexual harassment. Even even the most hoity-toity of us is now uh, at potential for being accused of all of this thing. I don't even know how to say the guy's name. That's how hoity-toity he is. Charles Dutoit? Dutois? I don't know how to say that. World-renowned conductor Charles Dutoit has come crashing down in the wake of all of these sexual assault accusations. In this case, three singers and a musician and symphonies all the way from Boston out to Sydney have cut ties with Charles Dutoit, and he's canceled a bunch of guest appearances with other major orchestras. 81-year-old Dutoit is the artistic director at the orchestra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in London, principal conductor. They are saying that orchestras in New York, Chicago, and Cleveland have announced that he has withdrawn his services for upcoming concerts. Sydney, Boston, San Francisco have all cut ties with this guy, citing the serious nature of the allegations. And again, not even proof... These are just the allegations that have caused them to pull the contract on this guy. Four women have made what they say have been very, very graphic sexual assault accusations against this guy. There's another guy, former president of the Philadelphia Orchestra for several years, told the the AP that this guy had a reputation for a long time as being extremely flirtatious And in fact, that was the reason they passed on him twice for the job of music director. This is a world-renowned conductor, and twice the Philadelphia Orchestra said, "Ah, we don't like your grabby nature." That's smart. I don't want. We don't want to get into any future problems. But see, and that's even then, though, from 1989 to 2005 was when that guy, when Joe Kluger was the former president of the Philly Orchestra. Back then, and it's not like it's ancient history, but even back then, they knew that that was going to be a problem. 
He said that the rumors of this guy's inappropriate behavior with women were common knowledge in the classical music business. And the only reason I laugh at that is because there would be an assumption that if you're in classical music, you have a certain amount of, I don't know, decorum, uh, mental capacity that the rest of us don't necessarily have. I don't know. It just... You're like seems an, like they're like an be, intelligent academic type right. of person. Yeah, you yeah. would never fall for the right. the simple base nature <laughs> of humans and <laughs> boobies. <laughs> you know, you're a classical musician. He says, "I do recall telling our staff to be wary around Charles Dutoit and encourage them to report any inappropriate behavior immediately." He was unaware of any formal complaints about this guy. Said he had never heard that Dutoit had actually assaulted women. But as I mentioned, uh, the AP did publish a story yesterday that included details, accounts by the four women, said that he attacked them on the sidelines of rehearsals and performances with orchestras in five cities, Chicago, Minneapolis, Philly, Saratoga Springs, of course, and L.A. All four of them told the AP that they never filed formal complaints because they were young and he was the maestro. And they figured that they would lose their jobs, not him. They said that these incidents occurred as recently as 2010 in a variety of places, including his dressing room, a hotel elevator, a suite at the Four Seasons, which I think was Harvey Weinstein's big one, and a moving car. Two women said that this guy physically restrained them, forced his body against theirs. And I think we know what that means sometimes put his tongue in their mouths, and in one case, stuck her hand down his pants. One of the women said that he attacked her on four occasions during the performances with the Philadelphia Orchestra in 2006 and 10. This is the uh, the second high-profile figure in the classical musical world to be accused of sexual misconduct. Earlier this month, the Met, Metropolitan Opera, suspended their conductor when misconduct accusations surfaced. Oh, that's not all. What about the American Ballet Theater? Marcelo Gomez, a high-profile dancer at the American Ballet Theater, resigned amid an investigation into an allegation of sexual misconduct eight years ago. This is a guy who was a native of Brazil, joined in 1997 at the age of 18. He danced Twyla Tharp's Sinatra Suite. I think we've all been impressed by that a time or two. Uh, he made his debut with the Bolshoi Ballet in 2013. Uh, and he did an Under Armour, I will what I want, I will what I want, TV campaign that starred Misty Copeland, the ballerina. So, Is there one industry that this has not touched? I feel like once you hit the ballet, you've made it's the whole everyth- Yeah, everything, everything has come full circle now. Right. From, from the lowest end form of entertainment, you know, Hollywood movies and TV, which can have some pretty stupid stuff into it, in it. That can maybe get into some high-profile, highbrow entertainment. But once you get into classical music and ballet, that's so, that covers all the bases. Right. You're, you're covered at that point. And we know that you know in between is all the, the normal creeps and everything yeah. everywhere else. Every but. normal insurance office has some bad guy. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's in the military. It's in the sports world. It's in all forms of, I don't know, the steel factories still work. I. I can't imagine there's a lot of time for harassment in a steel factory. I hate myself. Oh, Sylvester Stallone, speaking of hating yourself, that's another guy. That's another name that's cropped up. Sylvester Stallone was accused of sexual assault in a police report that was filed in Santa Monica. 
the the victim filed a report last month, but the incident itself occurred back in the 90s. So it's already passed the statute of limitations here in California, and who knows if the police decide that they're going to investigate or not. There was a, a report back in the middle of last month that said that Sylvester Stallone was accused of sexual assault in Vegas by a minor in the in the 80s. And there was a police report that was filed then, but the charges were never brought forth. So uh, he has vehemently denied the allegation. That one specifically said it's a ridiculous, categorically false story. He said it at the time. Oh, and speaking of the sports world, we talked about the gymnastics thing. Now the USOC CEO, the United States Olympic Committee CEO, Scott Blackman, said that he was not aware of the Larry Nassar sex abuse allegations before law enforcement got involved. He had no knowledge of any settlement between Kayla, uh, Michaela Maroney and uh, Larry Nasser. She had come out to say that she filed a lawsuit seeking to invalidate the NDA clause in the settlement because she said that basically handcuffed her from being able to speak out about this guy. I am so sorry. He writes, I am so sorry that the Olympic family failed these athletes. Was was he the only one who didn't know about this? Because everybody at the school knew about this. This is the guy who admitted to sexually assaulting female gymnasts, possessing child pornography, molesting girls who sought treatment from this guy. He was sentenced to 60 years in federal prison. And although Michaela Maroney was not part of the case, she and her mom wrote letters to the court about Nasser's abuse. Very graphic, graphic letters about what this guy was accused of doing under the guise of some sort of therapeutic treatment that he was supposedly doing to these uh, teenage girls. All right, we come back. That stuff that you got from Amazon, you know that stuff that's sitting on your front porch right now waiting for you to get home to wrap and put under the Christmas tree? That caused the guy to die up in Sacramento. Not to make you feel guilty or anything, but the government is now investigating the Amazon facility just outside of Sacramento. We'll tell you why when we come back to the Gary and Shannon Show. Friday, zero Christmas shopping done. That's not true. I have most of it done. I have one more thing to pick up You're the today. Dad's in the Walmart commercial. <laughs> I know. It's raining. But, but I tell you, my daughter saw that commercial and she says, "Gosh, they make it seem like guys don't even shop until it's like the last minute." <laughs> my wife and I just looked at each other. Yeah, I don't know why they think that. That's weird. Um. We, uh, next hour, we are going to be talking with ABC's Lana Zak about the tax law, no longer just the tax reform bill, but the tax law signed into law by the president today before he made his way on down to Florida. So we'll talk about that with Lana Zak. Mo Kelly's going to join us in the 1 o'clock hour. A bunch of movies coming out this weekend. We'll talk about still some of the uh, negative hangover, I guess, probably, as a result of uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. I just... I just ran into Mo in the hallway. And, he's uh, like, and you liked it. He's like, have you, you seen it yet? And I was like, yeah, I kind of liked it. He's like, oh, don't talk to me yeah. anymore. <laughs> Surprised and, he didn't punch you. They did a, a big takedown on his uh, Nerdcast uh, uh, little podcast that he right. did. And he's like, you got to listen to it first and then come back and we'll have this this conversation. I, so I got to uh, go back and listen to it because. I have another friend. We'll talk more about this with Mo. But I had another friend who also saw it and was so supremely disappointed in it. Right. 
And not just because, you know, he's a big Star Wars fan and because, uh, he you know, he loves the characters and loves the universe. It's that when the original movies came out, this was this was what he lived for. I mean, this and it, it meant so much more to him than just oh, those good movies. And I really liked them. It's why he chose the career he chose. It's why he you know, it's it's basically formed him as a child. And into his teen years, that now that he's a he's an adult, you know, he's got so much riding on this that it's just a disappointment. It's painful almost right. for him. And but to see him talk about to, it, it's it, pain. I mean, it's so difficult to recapture something like that. You can yeah, you, and that's you can the thing. almost never do that. It was the right with, time. It was guys it was guys in a garage that wanted to put the it's like Apple, you know, when the original Apple, because it was about the same time. It's guys in a garage who had an idea for a space western kind of thing. You can't replicate that. You'll right. never be able to replicate the magic it would of have the to original be like movies. A new project, new story, new something completely different that yeah. would uh, have to spark that again. Yeah. So anyway, we'll talk more about that with Mo in the one o'clock hour. The California Division of Occupational Safety and Health, Cal OSHA, is investigating Amazon's new Sacramento Fulfillment Center. When you drive up north of Sacramento, I-5 makes a quick little left, and you go out to the Sacramento International Airport. Before you get there, uh, Metro Air Park is what they call it. 855,000-square-foot Amazon Fulfillment Center for Northern California. Well, a month after they open, which was, I think, middle of October, end of October, a month after they open. Employees file a class action lawsuit saying that they had been denied rest breaks and overtime pay. Well, a few weeks after that, an employee is hospitalized after vomiting blood and died the next day. What the? Not connected. What's the last time you worked so hard that you vomited blood, Blake? I've never worked so hard that I vomited, so... Okay. Much less blood. Much less blood. And that's the problem with you, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> the kids these days, they don't want to work hard enough to vomit blood. Now, Cal OSHA can investigate. They could issue citations if they find any sort of safety regulation violations, etc. They have six months to do their investigation according to state law. And the the way that Amazon put it, their statement was just an employee experienced a personal medical incident our thoughts go out to his family and his loved ones. But it's just, if nothing else, the timing of that sucks for Amazon because it's just after they got sued for overworking people. Um, the the original plaintiff, or I should say the primary plaintiff in that filing against Amazon is a guy named Romeo Palma, a resident there in Sacramento, works at this fulfillment center. And he says that, Palma is assisting with packaging and fulfillment of Internet merchandise orders for shipment. According to the uh, attorney based here in L.A. that represents the workers, this suit would cover all of the Amazon facilities in California, including the various satellite facilities, not just the fulfillment centers that we have uh, already. The other thing I've noticed about Amazon, uh, if I mean, everybody seems like everybody has been ordering Amazon because it's the easiest way to shop these days. And I think when we wrap this entire holiday season up we'll see why the online orders are so much easier and probably going to be more beneficial than brick and mortar stores one of the things i've noticed is they don't know how to box things amazon does not know how to box things and it's weird because 
Amazon makes a big deal out of, you know, make sure that you recycle the boxes once you're done with them. But I got, I got a, uh, I got earring. I shouldn't say who I got them for. I won't say who I got them for, but I got earrings for somebody. Do we need to dump this? No. Because <laughs> I don't think she's listening anyway. Uh, I got earrings. And it literally, it came in like a tiny, it's two little tiny earrings. And they came right. in like a little plastic test tube. They're kind of like uh, funny looking earrings. Yeah. But the, and it's a little test tube, like just barely larger than your thumb. That came, wrapped it, it wasn't breakable, it was plastic. That came wrapped in bubble wrap. Inside a giant box that really? was probably, it probably could have held this computer monitor right here. <laughs> and it was a tiny, I mean, it was this big and it came in a box that was like this. And I thought when I got it, uh-oh, they ordered, they sent the wrong thing. I, I There's nothing, yeah. I didn't order anything this big. And then you pick it up and it feels like there's nothing in it. See, something that small, I would assume they'd send it in like those yellow uh, manila envelope type right. things. Yes. Because I've been getting are, a bunch of those. And they're soft, you know, soft-sided, right. so there's a very little chance that it's going to get broken. Right. But I think Amazon, at some point, just runs out of the smaller boxes. I and have a stack of boxes taller than me in my house. Probably two. You double You them. still do? Well, we're going to transport a bunch of stuff. And I do all my wrapping at the last second. Oh, I hate wrapping. So, but I have to consolidate all those boxes so I can stick them in my tiny car. <laughs> but. but they're also good when you get those boxes. Then you have boxes to wrap Christmas presents. That in. is very true. Recycling the yes, Amazon box, absolutely. And then it, you deceive somebody because they think they're getting something big, and, it, and they get this little tiny, gets, tiny thing in a test tube. And then it's really just earrings in a test tube. Exactly. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to look up uh, how to wrap like a bastard, I think is what it's called. It's it's all of these like oh. crazy ways to wrap presents I that are impossible to get into. Yeah. My brother did that. Like zip ties. Zip ties is that's one the of worst them. one. Freezing uh, like a gift card, freezing it into a block of ice is another mm-hmm. way to yeah. give it. Uh, those are pretty funny. My Amazon, brother used like a. Uh, I would say at least a half roll of duct tape. Oh, yeah. Mondo from the uh, Tim Conway Jr. show is very good at that. He, we had a Secret Santa gift exchange one time, and he created this big old thing with cereal boxes and had, like, secret compartments, and you'd have to unfold certain things. <laughs> and you know, it was the Secret Santa, so there's a little bunch of tiny things in there. But it, it was very fun to unwrap that. It, was like to watch. A, it wasn't even my gift. If somebody else was unwrapping it, I was like... On the edge of my seat. It's an escape room just to be able to get to the present. (laughs) Uh, Amazon says they're trying to ship each order in one correctly sized package instead of multiple boxes, which is one of the options once you order things. Because not only does it cost more to ship a big box, it's not always based on weight. They're talking about the environmental impact, the general nuisance of all of the cardboard. So that means that they're going to do the bubble envelope thing that you're talking about. They're going to tweak all of the algorithms. They're going to negotiate with their manufacturers to try to make... Smaller packaging specifically for online sales, not for store shelves. So it would be different. I mean, right now, basically, if you go to Toys R Us and you get a, uh, you get a, I don't know, a, a box of Legos, that same box is the one that you would get if you ordered it through Amazon. What they're saying is maybe if you order it through Amazon, we change the packaging, we make it even more uh, economical, perhaps in terms of space. So that we can get the smaller things, Fi- trying new things in uh, polystyrene bags, polystyrene poly bags, whatever they call them. So all of that is still on the table when it comes to Amazon and their boxes, because right now, I, I like you, I still have a stack of boxes that that are by the door. Right. But I went through and tried to wrap most of my stuff. I want to say sun- last Sunday watching are the football games. those boxes? Yes, a lot of those boxes I've I've reused. What they could start doing also is 
you know, because the receipt a lot of times comes inside the box. You can order order the receipt separately. That way, you don't even have to open it. Well, a lot of, and, just and a lot wrap of times that box straight up as soon as it comes. Get, a lot of times, the uh, you can just do the email receipt. You know, or you mean so it's not in the box. So, in so the, the box. whoever opens it. It's opening a fresh Amazon ah. box with the thing inside. <laughs> That'd be fine, too. <laughs> all right, when we come back. We'll talk about what you do when you get all of those presents on Monday and you do this. Oh, thanks. Like your wife did last night. With what? Well, I'll tell you. When we come back, Gary Shannon will continue in just a moment. Nineteen sixty is our flashback Friday year. I don't. I don't know why. Uh, my my daughter just texted me. One of the guys from Thirteen Reasons Why, the Netflix show, yeah, uh, just went public with his relationship with Sam Smith. Wow! Now I have to look up to see who it is. Uh, Brandon Flynn. Okay, I don't. It's just the guy. I don't know why she sent that to me. <laughs> I didn't realize that she... I, she thinks that we my life... about downer music, Sam Smith, downer music. Oh, There's very downer music. Got it. Man. Okay. Maybe that's it. Well, when on Monday you open that package and you go like this, Oh, great. <laughs> now you know what you can do with it. Um, <laughs> Oscar and his wife got a gift card at Disney yesterday. But they also got a stuffed animal, a stuffed Mickey Mouse. That in the was box. the uh, practice of deception, right there. <laughs> uh, uh, diversion and deception. Like you, what? You what is this? In the box. Your wife was like, "No, great stuffed animal." <laughs> I'm in my thirties. I don't need a stuffed animal. Anyway, uh, customers who buy things online don't usually like the process of returning things. That's always been in the back of my mind. If you've ever tried to return things. Even a company that tries to make it easy for you to do can be a hassle. There are a few places, by the way, where I've bought things online. They send me the wrong size, perhaps. And when I call them to begin the process of the returns or ask how to do it, they'll say, oh, gosh, just keep it. We'll send you a new one. So they, Because they know it's a hassle as well a lot of times. So if you have uh, Zappos and Amazon that offer free returns, usually it's something like, hey, if we screwed it up, just throw it back in the bag. The, those other online retailers are bleeding cash to do the same. They are eating the cost and hoping they get the thing right in the first place or that you like it in the first place. So there is a company now called Happy Returns, which, by the way, is a brilliant, brilliant system. Happy Returns has a bunch of different kiosks all over the place. And it's partnered with 20 online retailers, and they have what they call these kiosks are called return bars. It's basically a, a concierge desk at a bunch of different malls around the place, at different stores as well. So you take something that you bought from an online retailer to that mall that has this Happy Returns place or a brick-and-mortar store that does Happy Returns, and they refund you your money right there. 
boom, on the spot, you get your refund. And then what they do is they will return the item, ship it to the warehouse in Santa Monica that Happy Returns owns. The 25 employees that work there sort and ship the goods and send them back to the whatever e-retailer it was, the e-commerce seller. And the online retailers will pay Happy Returns a fee for each thing that they get. Now, they're not telling anybody how much they charge, but they say it's cheaper than if they were to handle the returns themselves, if these online retailers were to handle returns themselves. Uh, Happy Returns does not yet have any direct competitors. They're the only ones in the market doing this right now, which is brilliant, right? Totally. Especially if you're at a mall. There are still new ways to make money. Absolutely. (laughs) Why didn't you think of this? Why would we be sitting here eating cold pizza? We could be making millions. The... The thing is, uh, somebody else will replicate this. They'll find it. They'll tweak it. They'll try to find a better process. There's funny side note. One of the guys who helped raise a bunch of money for this, he's a, a partner at the L.A. venture capital firm Upfront Ventures. Went to high school with that guy. Oh, really? Yeah. He's quoted in this L.A. Times article. He says, returns are the next battleground for the next generation of commerce. So, I'm not going to tell you his name, though. He got mad when I made the JV baseball team, and he didn't. Oh, dang. Yeah, it's still sore. Still sore. (laughs) 30 years later. I don't carry a grudge. We'll do what's trending when we come back to Gary and Shannon.